Ephesians and chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 4. I'm reading from the NASB, so it may vary uh, with uh, any other inferior translation you may be using. Verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now the expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Father, we thank you so much for the joy we've experienced here tonight, the brotherly love that floods this place, the sense of joy in you, Lord God. We thank you that our hearts really echo. Come, let us adore him. Father, thank you for the miracle of grace that you've done in our lives, that without coercion, We want to give you glory. We want to express our love to you. And Father, thank you that you ever interrupted our willful, lost condition with your kindness, your mercy, your grace. And Holy Spirit, we do even now invite you. Come upon us, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. I pray for people who are here tonight to hear more than I say. Pray they may hear you in their hearts. May Lord... No, a spirit of revelation coming as we together, Lord, look to you. So, Lord, come now, we pray, we're your people. Come teach us, feed us, build us up to your great praise and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It seems fitting to me as I was praying and preparing and thinking about this evening to uh, think concerning the church. It's great that the church is represented here tonight from a number of congregations from within this city, and then other churches coming in, people representing uh, a number of churches here together. And I guess the book of Ephesians uh, highlights the place of the church uh, more than any other New Testament epistle, this glorious community, this people of God. And uh, here in Ephesians, they're described in a number of ways. We're seen as the temple that's replaced that old building that used to be in Jerusalem, that building that the apostles looked at and said, look at that. And Jesus said, no, it's all coming down. Not one stone will stand upon another. That's a previous dispensation when God's glory was behind a curtain in a building and as Jesus is uh, dying on the cross that curtain's ripped open and within 40 years that building's down and a new kind of temple made up of living stones is being built by the Lord all over the world today. The temple, the dwelling of God, no longer in a special place but now in town after town, nation after nation. As people gather God's presence comes amongst them, this wonderful new covenant. Yes, the building, the temple, we're seen as the bride of Christ. The intimacy of relationship 
far beyond the sort of experience that Old Testament believers had, that we can come pressing in to know that we are his bride, he's our heavenly bridegroom, that we can have intimacy of fellowship with him. We're seen in Ephesians 6 by implication as an army. We're told to put on armour, we're told to be like soldiers as this army marches out across the nations to make Jesus known. But here in this particular passage, we're seen as his body. Yes, Paul does talk about us being like a body, but we're more than like a body. We are the body of Christ. And of course, Paul, in this particular epistle, is perhaps writing more broadly, talking about the universal church. Uh, Academics would tend to say this is a a letter that was sent to a, a circle of churches, passed from one church to another. But in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says to one local assembly, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. He's not just saying you're like a body, though that is also true. He's saying to a group of believers filled with God, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. He's talking about a very supernatural community. And for us in our generation to stand up and challenge our generation, it's so important for us to rediscover the glory of the church. That the church isn't some institution kind of hanging on from Victorian ages, fast dying out. No, no, the church is a supernatural community. It's unique in the world. There's nothing quite like it. There's nothing at all like it. Jesus, our glorious Lord, was crucified. He experienced death. God raised him up. He revealed himself to many. And then he ascended through the heavens and is at the right hand of the majesty on high. The head of this body is in heaven and we, his body, are here on earth in dynamic fellowship with him, enjoying his nearness, enjoying his communion, enjoying instruction, guidance. We're his body and individually members of it. And God has set, Paul says here in Corinthians, In the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, healers and so on, as he says in Corinthians. A dynamic, supernatural leadership for this dynamic, supernatural community. The church is a remarkable, supernatural community. Joined together, yes, but most of all joined to our head in the heaven. Jesus has overcome death He is reigning on high and he is joined supernaturally to his people. I want this evening to speak on this passage from three different perspectives. One, the gifts that he's given us. Secondly, the goal set before us. And thirdly, the growth that is promised to us. Okay, so first of all we're starting with the gifts that he has given us. Very often when people think of the church, they can tend to think of the clergy and the laity, the priest and the people. But that's not actually the kind of style that we read about in the New Testament. Rather, we see diverse gifts of ministry. It says, he ascended on high, this one who first descended, then ascended. And from his position of glory, he not only poured out the Holy Spirit, as was witnessed on the day of Pentecost. You remember, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up before the thousands and said, This Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised up, whereof we are witnesses. Now, he says, exalted at the right hand of the Father, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and shed forth this Because people are looking and saying, what's going on here? Are these people drunk? Why are they so happy? How do they speak all these languages? What is is this community of people? We've never seen anything like it. And Peter explains by reference to Christ and then says, look, the promise is to you and to your children, all who are far off. Come on, repent. Believe. Receive the Spirit. On that day, 3,000 people get flooded with the presence of God. This new temple is now standing in Jerusalem. 3,000 people full of God. 
God has come among his people. But not only did Jesus give the Spirit to thousands of individuals, he also ascended on high and gave gifts. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to bring this body to maturity. That we should not simply be church attenders. We shouldn't certainly just be those receiving information week by week. But we should be equipped to become, we'll see soon, a mature man. God's after something. God wants a mature man in the earth. He made man in his image and likeness. A man believed a lie turned against God, chose to be independent, wanted to know for himself how to choose between good and evil, and in that moment was turned away from the presence and glory of God. And so Jesus sent a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue. Not content with that, he's looking for a corporate man, a new man that could walk the earth, many-membered, many different parts of that body, but standing as a man, a recognisable demonstration of the glory of God in the earth. That's the church. It's not somewhere we just go to on Sundays. It's a people living by the dynamic power of God and joined to the head in heaven. And this Jesus who ascended on high, he gave these gifts. Now we haven't time tonight to do a kind of Bible study on the gifts, but I'd like to just highlight them briefly. He gave some apostles. Well, we know that Jesus gathered twelve He called them apostles. They were unique, obviously. They were the apostles of the Lamb. They're the ones we meet in the book of Revelation. Key players with Jesus as he walked this earth. But now we're talking not about Jesus inviting twelve who are contemporary of his. We're reading about Jesus who ascended on high and gave from heaven apostles, prophets, So he gave some apostles. I guess the Apostle Paul would have been one of those who was given from heaven. Jesus coming into his face, brighter than the midday sun, and saying, I've chosen you. Barnabas, James, others were called to be apostles. What were the apostles there for? I believe fundamentally they were there to lay the foundations of this new community, originally in Jerusalem. Here are 3,000 people. Originally, their background, Jewish, Jews and devout men from many nations, all gathered back to the day of Pentecost. They had Abraham's blood in their veins. That's how you knew who the people of God were. They were sons of Abraham. Or they'd been proselytes who'd come into that community. Circumcised, keeping the Sabbath, loads of history behind them. They're the people of God. And suddenly the Spirit has poured out, well, is this just another group? Now then, within Israel, is this another group within Judaism? Who are these people who are now full of God? Well, the apostles were the ones who gave identity to who these people are. The apostles, Paul says in Ephesians 3, explained mysteries previously hidden but now revealed. What were those mysteries? Well, they're mysteries like this. The Messiah isn't just on a throne in Jerusalem, on David's throne in Jerusalem. The Messiah has gone through the heavens, not just what they expected, someone like David. They expected another one like David. He was to be David's son. Who's David? Well, David's the young boy who turned up at the fight with sandwiches for his brothers, looked at Goliath and said, who does he think he is? And took him out. And then became a great king and turned Israel into a great kingdom. And they were promised another one like David. So they're looking. They know they've got King Herod, just as their forefathers had King Saul. They're wondering, when is this new king coming? And perhaps, is this the one? He speaks like no one has ever spoken. He's healing the sick. Thousands are pursuing him. It says at one time they tried to force him and make him king. But Jesus died on a cross. Well, where's the throne then? How's he going to rule and reign? Well, we understand it's not exactly as they expected it. It's not going to be a throne in Jerusalem. He's on David's throne in the heavens, 
reigning from heaven. He is fulfilling everything that was promised of the Messiah. He's going to have an international, ever-increasing government all around the world, but he will do it from that throne. He will do it by his Spirit. And you, the apostles would explain, are in him. And he is in you. That's a totally new concept. How can David be in me? And so when Jesus said, you must eat my flesh, I expect they thought, eat your flesh? It says many turned back that day. Those whole concepts were so difficult. When Jesus said, I am the true vine, you're the branches, I can imagine them saying, he thinks he's a tree. No, so many of those concepts are so hard naturally. But when he goes through the heavens and says, now I am in you, and you are in me, we are supernaturally joined. And so the apostles, one of their main callings was to lay the foundations in the understanding of these people as to who they were. What their identity was. You are in Christ. You are co-raised with him. You are now co-seated with him in the heavenlies. You are his body. It's a dynamic new community, totally different to what had gone before. The apostles had to lay that foundation It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Day and night they were listening to the revelations that these men had. And they gave identity to this new community that were in Christ. A new people on earth flooded with the Spirit of God on the inside. Never happened before. 3,000 full of God. The new temple of God. The apostles were there to give identity to the new community, to lay the foundation, say, right, this is who you are. Three thousand becomes five thousand. The word of the Lord multiplied greatly. Thousands get saved. But the apostles were saying, this is your new identity in Christ. The apostles then, to lay that foundation. It wasn't only for those in Jerusalem at the beginning, but when Philip the evangelist went to Samaria and more were saved, quickly the apostles rushed up there. Peter and John laid that foundation again. Even in Corinth, Paul says to one individual church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I laid a foundation. I laid the foundation. I, I came to you and did my apostolic work to make sure you correctly understood who you are. For instance... You may be Jewish in your background, but you're not under law anymore. We're not under law? No, you're not under law anymore. It's all over. It's finished. It's a new day. You don't have to do that anymore. What, you mean I can eat anything? You mean I can eat pork and still go to heaven? Yeah, you can eat pork and go to heaven quicker. You imagine the liberty, Paul says in Galatians, for freedom, Christ has set you free. And these people with Jewish background, that the way you please God with all these tiny rules and regulations and Sabbath keeping and food laws and circumcision, he said, no, 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 we're the true circumcision. Who worship by the Spirit. Who put no confidence in the flesh. Who glory in Christ. We're the new circumcision. We're the people of God. What, from all? Yes, from all over the place. You need to know who you are. This isn't privatised religion. This is a new people stepping out into the earth. A new man that's going to stand up. And that's why it's so important, dear friends. We don't think of our religion simply privately. And that we're essentially secular. Go to our workplace. Go to a nice church on Sunday. No, no. We are revolutionised. We're part of world revolution. The people of God are on the move. Buying up old cinemas, old warehouses. Going to the nations. That's how it was at the beginning. We're trying to recover Christianity as it was at the beginning. So we have to see, yes, the apostles, it was so important. They were the ones who said, no, no, you're not under law, you're under grace. Step out into your new liberty. Learn how to live together as a community, as we'll see in a moment. So there were apostles, and they went again and again, laid the foundations in another place, gathered people, appointed elders, taught them how to be the people of God, They went again and did it again. Apostles. Prophets? Well, prophets, they bring the kind of immediacy of the presence of God. There's no separate New Testament description of a prophet. It just carries straight over from the Old Testament. Except now, prophesying is part of church life. It's broadly experienced. Although there were key prophets, as we'll return to in a moment... All your old men, your young men, your sons, your daughters, all may prophesy. 
A prophesying community. A whole people who feel intuitive. This is what God's saying now. Now they still have the sacred books. We still have, as in the Old Testament, the scrolls for us, our Bible. We still have a Bible, complete, authoritative. But we also know the immediacy of God. And it's broad. It says in Philip, Philip the evangelist, for instance, we're told in the book of Acts, had four daughters who all prophesied. Imagine what breakfast was like in their home. Four daughters. Thus says the Lord, pass the cornflakes. I mean, you know, four. Four prophesying daughters. I mean, it's pretty common. Prophesying was in the community. I think for me, it was one of the big breakthroughs of understanding the immediacy of God's presence. I recall when I was in London uh, as a young student, as it happens, and I'd had experience of the Spirit, but I went to a, a new kind of church, and it was revolutionary for me to be in that church. It was one of the first of the new kind of churches where the Spirit was very active. It was meeting actually in the boardroom of some offices in near Charing Cross. And I remember when I went there one day, it was my birthday. And it happened that that day, someone had given me a card, and in that card was one of those texts. You know, we all have favourite texts, don't we? I, I, one of those verses that was always meant so much to me. And I thought, oh, that's wonderful, thank you, Lord. Amazing that that's come on my birthday. And then I also had a Keswick calendar, and I tore off the page, and there's always a verse. And that, another one of those favourite verses. I thought, oh yes, thank you Jesus. This is wonderful that you, I don't know, you just seem to be speaking to me. Well, I went to church that morning and uh, it was a new young church, as I say. Often people had to sit on the floor because there weren't enough chairs. And communion is being handed around. It was fairly informal. I took a plate from someone and there was the, the communion bread and I had to give it over here. So there's a, there's a guy sitting on the floor here. And I step over him, and I'm just about to give the bread, and this guy starts prophesying. And so I stopped, I just stood there. And, it, and, and although it was in a meeting, he said, my son. And I'm standing there. And he went on and quoted both of those verses. And I felt like I was the only man in the world, let alone the only man in the meeting. God in the midst. God intimately present, God knowing me. I thought, I don't want to go to church where that is not happening. I want to be where you are. I want to know your presence. I want to and the prophetic brings the immediacy of God. The apostolic, I believe, lays apostolic doctrinal foundations that this is what the church is. No, no, it's not that. You're not under law anymore. No, it's not that. You've died to sin, you're alive to Christ. It, it lays foundations. The prophetic says this is what God is saying now. I see this in the Spirit. The immediacy of God. Just as it was in the Old Testament. But now, you don't have to go to Shiloh and see if Samuel's in this week. No, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men, young men. But especially some who will be raised up particularly with extraordinary prophetic. Yeah, it's part of the church. It's not that you had prophetic in the Old Testament. Now it's New Testament and you have committee meetings. Sounds like all the excitement's in the old. No, no. The old looking forward into the new and saying, wow, look at that excitement. It's a breakout of God. And so, yes, prophets. Thirdly, evangelists. We need to make space for those gifted to reap. Those gifted to pull in the net. We've had a thing called front edge within New Frontiers. I won't stay too long on this, but that has been a huge success. As one of the guys in our ranks, Lex Loisidas, has such a great gift to evangelize, to reap. And we've gathered others to him, helped him train them, and then released them to churches. And literally seen hundreds converted as a result of trying to discover people who may call themselves pastor something. But actually their main gift is evangelizing. That's their skill. And to try to channel and see that we're not just looking for the clergyman. We're looking for apostles, prophets, yeah, evangelists. Because they have a peculiar skill to reap. We have a young man in the church in Brighton where I'm based. And in more recent months, whoever's preaching, he tends to come up at the last five minutes and just pull out an evangelist implication of what has been preached. And week after week, 
Every week we're seeing people saved as we make room for his evangelistic gift after the preaching because he's got this skill to reap and God's spirit upon him. So it's a different gift. We need to make space for that, understand that. And then the next one, some pastors and teachers. They seem to be put together. It's a funny word, isn't it, really, for a church leader, a shepherd. Especially strange in you know, 21st century urban England. Shepherds. I don't, I don't think I've ever met one. Have you ever met a shepherd? I've never seen a shepherd work. So it's a strange word, shepherd. Fancy calling a leader a shepherd. I, mean, I say, you know, when you live in Brighton, or wherever, I don't see many shepherds down the street. You know, they don't seem to be in Tesco's. We know all the meat comes wrapped in plastic. But, you know, no shepherds. But isn't it strange that the Bible, well, let's put it this way. Moses was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. The Lord Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And it's a strange thing that even unconverted people somehow resonate, even with the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I've recently read a couple of books on shepherds to try and understand this more instead of thinking, well, it's a clergyman. No, it's a shepherd. Well, what, what is a shepherd? What does it mean? Well, there's something about this lovely gift of pastoring God's people. It says about this shepherd, he, he makes me lie down. Now, I'm reading these books about shepherds. They say that actually making sheep lie down is pretty clever. Because apparently sheep are very scared animals, very nervous. And to be able to claim, my shepherd makes me lie down. He gives me such security, he gives me such a sense that all's well. My shepherd makes me feel safe. My shepherd leads me to good food. It says in Jeremiah, God says when he's so furious with the Old Testament leaders... He said, there'll come a day when I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with wisdom and understanding. In fact, the word shepherd is usually a verb in the New Testament rather than a noun. Shepherding, feeding, ruling. It's translated different ways. Looking after the flock of God. And so here we've got those men who are particularly in local regions supplying comfort and security and safety. And we read in the Old Testament, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, the rod was for beating off the wolves. The rod was to, when something came against the flock, the rod is to say, get up. And, 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 and even the good shepherd will lay his life down. For the flock. He will serve them with authority. No, we won't have this here. No, we won't. No, don't eat that poisonous food. And, and the rod, actually the rod was also comforting. The rod is saying, come back here, you silly sheep. You know, it's, it's important to be within the sphere of shepherds. Now, in the New Testament, elders are virtually always plural, so we're not necessarily just talking about one person. But to be in a context where someone's caring for you. So you're not just coming to church and having someone preach a sermon to you, but there are people who are caring for you. People who have freedom to say to you, are you sure you're not working too hard? You know, the hours you keep, are you, is everything alright at home? Are you really giving your wife the time she needs with you? Well, how dare you speak to them? No, no, that's a shepherd. That's someone caring for you. Bring security into your life. And it's very important, beloved, and this is lovely to have a celebration. This isn't like real church. This is a celebration. But it's very important that you know who's shepherding you. You don't just turn up, oh, this week I think I'll go there. Oh, no, which, which church do you belong? Well, I just belong to the universal church. You know, you're not on anybody's washing up list. The way we're going to grow to a mature man is by taking advantage and being in right relationship with all of these gifts, knowing the benefit of the apostolic, the benefit of the prophetic, 
the benefit of seeing people reap through the evangelist and really knowing who's my shepherd, my teacher. Who are the group of guys who lead me? Do you know who they are for you? So yeah, I know who my shepherds are. See, if you don't, you're in trouble. A sheep needs a shepherd. I want to encourage you to find the security of being in a shepherding framework where people care for you. Where you don't just turn up and keep your distance, but where you invite people into your life. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you need to say to the leaders of your church, I just want you to know I really respect your leadership gift. And I want you to know you have full permission to help me, to build me up. That may mean you need to correct me sometimes. I want you to feel free. Because in our English culture, we don't find it easy to push into other people's lives, even when we're leaders. So to give permission, to say, I really, I'm inviting you, not only to explain the Bible to me, which I so appreciate, but also, would you, would you speak into my life? If you see I'm drifting, I want to give you that full permission. He feeds me, he cares for me. That's shepherding. That's, so he ascended on high, and out of his great love for this new community that he's raising up in the earth, he gives apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. These are the gifts he's given. Don't ignore them. He has given them from his position of glory. The Lord Jesus has given them. Right? So the goal, a big pardon, the gifts that he's given Many gifts, not just one. I'm not trying to force one poor man to be apostolic, prophetic, evangelist and pastor all in one. But to say, God help us to make space. I'm referred to this young evangelist in Brighton. He's not full time on our staff. He's just a young guy, so skilled. We've said, hey come on, use that gift. Look for gifts, make space for gifts. He's ascended, he's given them. Secondly, the goal set before us. It says in verse 13, we are to attain to the unity of the faith. NIV says to reach the unity. Now many of us would know that earlier in that passage it talks about maintaining the unity of the spirit while at the same time attaining to or reaching to the unity of the faith. That's the possibility. That's what God wants that we should come to a singular understanding of the faith. We should come to a unity, a comprehension of what is the truth of God. That's what we aspire to. While at the same time, maintaining the unity of the Spirit. Now, we may think that's difficult in our days, but you need to think of how difficult was it in Paul's day, as this church is first starting Many of the people had been Jewish, those who were looking for the Messiah. Jesus initially and his twelve, even the seventy, were told, only go to the lost sheep of Israel, only go. A few Gentiles forced their way through, you'll find in the Gospel stories, but essentially it's a Jewish phenomenon, but then it breaks out, and they're told to have unity. Unity? But but I'm, I'm from this background, you're from that background. In fact, it's interesting to see how the unity of the Spirit first happened. And probably Acts chapter 10 is one of the key turning points in the book of Acts. Obviously, Luke, when he's writing Acts, thinks that story of Peter going to Cornelius' home is so important, so important, that he gives two chapters to it. Chapter 10 tells the story. Chapter 11 tells the story again as Peter reports back to the other apostles. Let's just remind you of what happened. Peter has this vision. And in the vision he sees a sheet coming down out of heaven with animals in it that would be forbidden for a Jewish man to eat. And the voice comes to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 I've never eaten such stuff. I've never eaten. You know, I've often wondered what that crackling's like. No, no, I've never eaten pork. I've never eaten. I, you know, I don't touch it. And then it says the sheep goes up, comes down again. And, and, and he's wondering, what is this? Arise, eat. Eat fruit. I'm not, food I'm not allowed to eat. He's kind of, it says he's pondering it. Meanwhile, a knock comes at the door. And it's these guys, these Gentiles. 
what Jesus or others called you know, Gentile pigs people outside people not accepted and they say we have been sent for you oh, Gentiles eh? yeah, we've been told to get you come and bring you what are your Romans Romans the people who crushed Israel the people that were taking our taxes dominating our lives saying hey carry that for a mile just terrible awful people come with us don't go with people like you and then he's thinking what is that vision about what's it all about and Peter so very reluctantly Peter goes with these Romans, these Gentiles that he doesn't normally associate with. You don't, you don't mix. The whole point of being a pure Jew was you don't mix. You stay sanctified. You stay separate. You stay within. And even Jesus is saying, now stay within at first. First to the Jew. And he goes to Cornelius' house and he's thinking, ooh, what's this? Come into the home. Ooh, in the Gentile home. I don't know if I go in a Gentile home. Ooh, come in. <laughs> and they said, God spoke to us. God spoke to you. Yeah, he told us to send for you. You have a message for us. And it says, Peter preaches about Jesus to them. And while he's still preaching, and he's got to the, the nub of gospel truth about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, while he is speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon the whole house full of people. And Peter hears Gentiles speaking in tongues and praising God. He thinks, what is going on? These Gentiles, and they hear them saying, Abba, to God, to his God, to the Holy One. These Gentile dogs, they're saying, Abba, they're praising, they're full of God. It's what is going on here? You've got the Holy Spirit like we have. They say, yeah, seems like it. Hallelujah. Hey, so, she, uh, so you're in. Well, you better be baptized then, you Gentiles. So he, he baptizes them and he associates with them. Why? Because they've got the same Holy Spirit that he's got. What is going on here? So he goes back to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 11. Peter is on the carpet before the other apostles. What were you doing? Mixing with Gentiles. Wow, I only began to speak, he says. That's his abbreviated version. I began to speak. And as I began to speak, the Spirit fell upon them, as he did on us at the beginning. So they think, wow, the Gentiles are in. Yeah, the Gentiles are in. The Gentiles are in. Later on, Paul will say, the Greeks, the Greeks are in. He says, the barbarians are in. The slaves, are, the women are in. I mean, it's revolutionary. Utterly revolutionary. And Paul is saying, listen, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's none of barbar barbarians. Yeah, they're in the kingdom. Oh, a kingdom. I mean, they eat everything. They do all sorts of things. Yeah, they're in. Slaves are in. Paul writes to Philemon. He says, your slave Onesimus, who ran away, yeah, I remember him, well, he'd become a Christian. What? And he's come back to you. Receive him as a brother. As a brother? I was going to sell him. <laughs> you know, he's like a talking chair, really. It's just a piece of furniture I own. No, no, he's your brother. Now, beloved, you think of the different world views these people come from. Everyone's got a world view. Their expectation of life. How they understand life. Think of a Roman centurion. Now, I'm from Rome. We rule the world. We're the champions. Jewish, pathetic people. Slaves. No, no, listen. You are one. What? For a for a Roman centurion, for a Jew with all his Pharisaic tendencies, we don't mix with you people. No, you're one. Slaves who, I mean, Rome was full of thousands, tens of thousands of slaves. The whole Roman Empire was full of tens of thousands of slaves. Treated as trash, no rights, no freedom. They belonged to people. No, you're in. You're full of the same spirit as I am. It seems like the Holy Spirit believes in justification by faith. And when you believe, you're qualified. This whole, so there was a unity, beloved, that came on people of such diverse backgrounds, far, far greater than our diversities. 
It's far greater than what well, we do it this way, we do it that way. No, no. He's talking about slaves. He's talking about Rome. He's talking about Jews. He's talking about women who are not allowed to be in, not even to be instructed. No, no, no. They're right in, sons and daughters. It's a revolution. It's a unity of the Holy Spirit. It's not, when it says unity of the Spirit, we must be careful we don't interpret the word Spirit as being atmosphere. Unity of atmosphere. Nice feelings here tonight. No, no. We're talking about the unity which the Holy Spirit gives. The Holy Spirit is flooding that Gentile. And he's flooding me. Oh boy. We are profoundly one. Profoundly. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is in me. Oh my word. Now I've got to retain that unity, respect that unity, that God has invaded you, God has invaded me. I may come from a Roman background, a Jewish background, a slave background, a barbarian background. But somehow, I have to come within this framework of moving towards the unity of the faith. Arriving at it, reaching it. And that's part of our responsibility. That's part of our responsibility whether you're in one local assembly, one local church, because we come from all sorts of different backgrounds, all kinds of different areas. Paul uh, Bruce Milne has just written a superb book called Dynamic Diversity. He says, especially in big cities these days, we are multinational, multinational. I was in London recently speaking at the church that meets in the Piccadilly Theatre. I came out, walked down Piccadilly to get the tube and to get the train back home. And then that, I don't know how many voices, how many languages I heard just walking around Piccadilly, down through Trafalgar Square. I mean, we are in international cities. The church uniquely can demonstrate something radically different. We had a very radical newspaper come to our church recently. It would regard itself as on the edge, reflecting something of Brighton culture, as Brighton loves to feel it's an on-the-edge kind of city. And they sent one of their reporters along. They gave us a double-page spread. And the write-up was quite remarkable. There were one or two little knives in there. But essentially, it was very positive. And one of the things it said was, I wondered... Where else in Brighton I would find people of such diversity in so many ways, even the different ages from young to old, in such harmony and focused together so evidently as one. This was a secular paper. And the Bible says in Ephesians 3 that God will demonstrate not only to this world but to principalities and powers his ability to restore what's broken. To bring back what seems impossible. To see people from nations that hate one another standing shoulder to shoulder saying, hey, we love the Lord. God can do that. God is doing that. And we have to press on into the unity of the faith where we understand more and more of the truth. Paul says in Philippians 1, standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. See, so many of us, we come from a different background. I always thought, well, I guess centurions would say, well, we always thought that Rome, we always thought that Caesar was a god. I mean, how different can you be? But now, Jesus is God, and we're to humble ourselves. And so we've got to line up, line up. And that means you may come to church and say, well, I always thought, my father always said, the church I came from always said, I've got the massive privilege next Sunday to preach at Holland Road Baptist Church Hove, which I was raised. They do it a bit different to me. And sometimes you might say, well, that's the way I've always done it. But we just need to say, well, perhaps that's not how it is in the Bible. Perhaps that, we just keep changing. We all just keep changing, lining up with the way God wants it to be, to uh, attain to, arrive at the unity of the faith. That's where God wants us to go. And sometimes we've got to abandon. Well, I always thought about this in husbands and wives. What do you mean a husband should lay his life down for his wife? Love her and cherish her. I thought she was supposed to be barefoot in the kitchen, pregnant. No, she's a person to be loved and cherished, honoured, respected, delighted in. 
There's so many things that come out of this word that say, this is how you live. You change your worldview. You change the way you think. And God brings through a completely new kind of people. Unity of the faith and, let me just take it one further step, to the knowledge of the Son of God. It's not just gaining new perspectives. It's not just gaining new worldview. It's not just embracing new values or forming new patterns. It's growing in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Now that's your responsibility and mine and privilege to grow in our knowledge of the Son of God. It's a dynamic reality. I've got to keep getting to know him better. I'm getting to know him better. Are you getting to know him better? I feel I'm often learning more about him as I study. More recently praying for sick people to be healed and sometimes we're praying for an hour or two after a meeting I think, oh I see, oh, I, oh that's what you want here. I'm getting to know him. I'm growing in my knowledge. God wants us not only to grow, oh I see, that theology, that doctrine, but to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. I had the privilege of speaking at the Vineyard Leaders Conference, um, I think it was the end of last year, a few months ago anyway. And it was a very pleasant time, lovely experience. And the other speaker uh, was an American, and he told a story which I found fascinating. He said he loves to witness. He's uh, an evangelist type, and uh, he flies around in the USA particularly. And he said, I love to speak to the person sitting next to me, because they're kind of captive audience. And so he loves to witness. So he said, I, recently he was getting on the, tra- on the, on the flight, <clears throat> And uh, he had his uh, boarding pass and he looked at the number and he's walking, looking at the numbers and he's looking down the, the gaps. He said, hmm, looks like it's that guy this time. And, uh, you know, he's getting ready for his witnessing opportunity. A couple of hours in the sky, this guy's going to hear the gospel. And uh, he sits there, he says, hello. And he sees this guy's got a Christian book on his lap. He thought, oh, blow, a Christian. <laughs> so, so he sat next to him and said, oh, are you Christian? He said, yeah. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> and uh, he's just on the flight, and he said after a few, a little while, he just felt a little prompting from God. And he just said to him, he said, tell me, what is it you most admire about Jesus? And the guy said, well, I was saved when I was 13, and I, I go to such and such church, that's where I go with my wife and children. He said, no, no, no. What is it you most admire about Jesus? And the guy again kind of talked about church going and he was a true Christian. He'd been born again. But he couldn't respond to that question. What is it you most admire about Jesus? How would you be placed if uh, some irritant like that guy sat next to you and asked you a personal question about your growing in the knowledge of Jesus, would you have an answer? Would you say, well, I feel lately this, or I felt last year God impressed me, or last week, or I, love, I just love this. Is there a devotion? Is there a growing knowledge? See, it's not just knowing about the doctrines, or we meet there on such and such, or I did it, I, I did it when I was 13. No, no. Increasing, growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. They asked this simple question, what is it you most admire? The guy had, he couldn't even enter into that kind of a world, although he was a Christian. God wants you to grow in the knowledge of Jesus, experientially, enjoying getting to know him. Looking at him more and more. I was looking yesterday at that famous story of David and Goliath. And I, I thought, I th- I've never seen that before. I've never seen that before. I've never seen that before. I was writing stuff down. I thought, how many times have I read the story of David and Goliath? I thought, oh, wow, I never really understood that. God wants us to have an ongoing experience of him, his ways, looking at Jesus. I'm going through Matthew's Gospel, actually, most of the time in my own devotions at the moment. I'm just wanting to see Jesus from a new way. Actually, it's about his healing work. I'm just looking at it. I think, oh, I see what he did. And I want to get to know him better, don't you? Increasing in the knowledge of Jesus. That keeps us from just saying, what is your statement of faith? Or my statement of faith? 
You know, have a look at yours, or I'll play this one, I'll play, trump you with this one. No, you know, it's fine. <laughs> we need truth, definitely. Apostolic doctrine. To know who we are. But also we need to grow in our knowledge. Loving him more than we used to. That when they start kicking in with, oh, come let us adore him, you're not sitting and think, it's an old Christmas carol, isn't it? you're thinking, oh yes, I long to be where the praise is never ending. Yearn to dwell where the glory never fades, where countless worshippers. Is that in your heart? You think, yeah. As you're singing this oh, nice melody, you think, yeah, Lord Jesus. I want to know you better. I want to see you. What will it be to see you? Growing in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus the Son of God, a growing knowledge to know Him. Paul says, I'm praying for you for a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Him. And so this is the goal set before us. And it goes on, one more phrase, to a mature man. To a mature man. Now elsewhere, in Colossians, for instance, I think it's Colossians 1.29, he says, I want to present all of you individually mature. We're looking for mature individuals, certainly. But in this passage, he's talking corporate. He's saying, I want this church, I want you together to become a mature man. Maturity. So he writes to the Romans, you know, you former Jews, you former Gentiles, accept one another, receive one another. Come on, let's not just defend. That's more I always think than a mature man. In fact, as I was looking at this, I, I thought... And I've looked at Ephesians 4 many times, but I stopped and I thought, what is a mature man? What does a mature man look like? I thought, I've never kind of perhaps stopped and thought about that. What is a mature man? And I, I, I just thought of something I was reading in my own devotional reading, apart from the preparation for the sermon, and it says that Jesus, speaking to his disciples, it says... They had discussed among themselves, his twelve, which was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve to him and said, If anyone wants to be first, he should be last of all and servant of all. I am among you as one who serves. Jesus, if ever there was a mature man... It's got to be Jesus. And I've thought of that passage when it says in John uh, 13, Jesus, knowing that he was from God, knowing the Father had given him all things, that he had come from God and was going to God. Talk about a mature man. You know, you're pretty secure when you know that. All things from God to God. That looks like a mature man to me. He's not reacting. He's not, do you really think that about me? Or what I think, or maybe my... No, no. Knowing all these, totally secure. What does it say about this mature man? He disrobed, took a towel, and washed their feet. That's a mature man. That's a mature man. That's man shaking free from all the pressures to be arrogant and proud. This is authentic maturity on display. Others may have noticed the servant isn't here tonight. We've got this hired room. Servant didn't come with it. No one's going to wash your feet. No, no, Jesus. A mature man. That's, that's what a mature man looked like. He's the model. Now he wants us collectively, beloved, to come to a mature man. Jesus said to the disciples, listen, don't say who's the greatest. Who's going to serve? God's looking for this phenomenon of a mature man. Interestingly enough, when Paul is talking about being free from law, and some may be saying, well, without the Ten Commandments, how do you live this life then? And Paul argues in Galatians, the whole epistle really, but he says in Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love... Serve one another. And Gordon Fee in his classic commentary says, it really means become one another's slaves. How do I live the holy life? I serve. 
How do you become a mature man? We corporately serve one another. We let people into our space. We don't claim our rights. Wow, rights. No, no, no. God's done a thing that's matured us corporately. But you walk into a mature church and you find this amazing serving heart that is on display. God's looking for a mature man. And then finally, and I only have a few moments for this third heading, we've talked about the gifts given to us. We've looked at the goal set before us, a corporate mature man. And finally and briefly, the growth that is promised us. Growth. Well, we're just one or two headlines I won't open up. First he says, don't be children tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. We need to be careful that we're not childlike, vulnerable to all kinds of funny doctrines. We need to be careful of that. Don't become single issue Christians. The only thing you're interested in is this funny emphasis. Now don't be like that. It's a, it's a truth once and for all delivered to the saints. In fact it says in Romans 6:17, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. You were committed to the teaching. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his classic uh, commentary, if we call it that, on Romans 6, says, look, it's not that the teaching was committed to you, it's you were committed to the teaching. And actually, says, the terminology talks almost like being poured into its mould. You're poured into the mould. Let the truth shape you. You're poured into, you're committed to this teaching. Okay, so don't get tossed about. Don't go, I've, I've been around long enough to see doctrines that seem to fill every magazine for about 18 months. You should do this, you must do that, you've got to read this, go there, do that. And, you, and everybody's doing it, I think, I'm not quite sure it's in the Bible. 18 months later, what was that? Oh, I've forgotten. Fads go blowing through the church. Don't get tossed about. But instead, speak the truth in love. Grow up into him who is the head. There is doctrine to speak, we haven't time to open all this up. But we don't argue doctrine, we don't fight with people about doctrine. We speak the truth in love. We communicate tenderly. Yeah, we've got differences. It's so beautiful to see, and I certainly don't know everybody here tonight, but many different churches, maybe we have different emphases. And maybe you've got something that we all need to hear. So but let's speak it in love. Let's find one another. Speaking the truth in love. And the whole body fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Bodies being fitted together. Joints of supply. It's not just you and Jesus. When I got saved, it was your personal saviour, your personal devotions, your personal evangelism, just the individual. More and more God's saying, no, no, it's not just you and Jesus. It's knowing your joints and ligaments. Knowing your supply. It was great this morning as we prayed at the end of the meeting, seeing lots of people getting healed whose bodies were kind of out of line before we prayed. One brother just spoke to me before the meeting. He said, all the pain's gone. He said, I've been having pain for so long. My doctor told me I'll just have to carry a cushion for the rest of my life. He said, the pain's gone. His body was out of line. And God is saying that you can be like that in fellowship. You can be out of line with people. God wants you correctly in line related correctly get rid of the pain know what it is to fellowship with one another fit and held together and then it says with the proper working of each individual part God doesn't want us passive God wants each one of us playing our part that's the thrill of a mature body. All playing their part. And that's why it's important, beloved, we understand. What is a mature man? Well, it's one who's happy to serve. Jesus modelled it. When Jesus washed their feet, he said, You call me Master and Lord, you do well, I am. I have given you an example that you should follow. So that's what should characterise the Church of God. We serve. And we find in that serving our individual part. But we don't all do the same. We're not all clones. 
There's diversity. There's all kinds of different flair and gift and creativity. And, and somehow that when you do the thing you do, there's a grace on you for doing it. So some have got a gift of hospitality, amazingly. I'm amazed how people can just cope with numbers. Oh, send them round. A few more students this week? Oh, send them to me. How'd you do it? Oh, it'd be fine. People have just got a faith and a grace for it. Others have got grace for other things. Technical skills, musical skills. You know, how do they do that? God's given them all sorts of different gifts and graces. And we're to discover with maturity what our gift is. I've reached the stage when uh, you know, I've got, we've got ten grandchildren now. You think, how did that happen, Terry? You're only 35. I think, yeah, I know. <laughs> but somehow they crept up on us, okay? So we see little children quite a bit these days. And, and it's funny seeing little babies. And I, I guess you may have seen a little baby lying on its back and it kind of sees it. Saying, oh, what's that? Have you seen that? I love it. Little children, I think, what's that bit? Oh, it's joined. It's you. It's part of you. And gradually as they grow up, you know, they learn, you know, knees are not for walking on, toes are not for sucking, and gradually they find out what the bits are for. And they become mature bodies. And a church that is growing into maturity, you know, sometimes that lady with the gift of prophecy and she walks towards the mic and your heart goes, oh, hallelujah, there she goes. Because you know the grace that's on her for that. Or this guy when he starts to sing out. Or this one when he does that. Or this one when he says, I'm going to open the scripture. And I think, ooh, lovely. Why? Because there's a gift, there's a grace, there's an ability. When every part's working properly. We're looking for giftedness. We're looking for grace. Sometimes within that body there'll be grace to go and plant again. I feel I've got faith for it. It's a different gift. God giving diverse gifts. So we find out what... I used to visit a lady when I was first pastoring and she was in a nearby town. I'd go to the hospital and she lived... She was in a, a wheelchair. She had a stroke and, 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 and she had this, this arm that didn't work. And uh, she, she was a radiant Christian. She'd laugh and witness to everybody about Jesus. But she'd get this arm and throw it. And it'd just go, boom, you know. They'd say, useless thing, doesn't work properly, she'd say. And she'd throw it again. We don't really want limbs that don't work properly. It can affect the effectiveness of the whole body. God is saying, come on, let's build great churches. Whether we're talking about the several churches here within Winchester, whether we're talking about what we call this Wessex region of churches around the counties, let's build great churches. Let's tell our generation there is a head in the heavens. There is a king on David's throne. We are joined to him. Dynamically joined. We are one with him. We are going to see the extension of the rule of his kingdom. God promised about him of the increase of his government there should be no end. We know it. We know the end. <laughs> God has promised us every tribe, every tongue, every nation is going to happen. We know the end. How is it going to happen? When Jesus said to the disciples, go and make disciples, they instinctively knew this, we must plant churches. Jesus said, go and make disciples, they went and planted churches. Because that's the way you make disciples. You gather communities. It's important. It's impossible to come to maturity without being in a framework of family. People close enough to share your heart. You can share your needs. You've got pastors and shepherds who are watching out for you, feeding you, guiding you, equipping you for works of service. God wants this glorious church in our end time. As each, Peter says, as each of you has received a special gift. Each of you. Don't be passive. Each of you has received a special gift. Employ it. In serving one another, there it is again, in serving one another as good stewards, someone responsible, as good stewards of God's variegated, or it could be called multicolored gifts. God's given multicolored, extraordinary, diverse gifts 
Now you be a steward of the gift God's given you. Pursue gifts. Say, Lord, I would love to serve you. Find out what you're good at. Find out how to serve the body. It's how hands find what they're good at. They serve. Oh, they're good at doing up buttons. Good at scratching. Hands find their role by serving the body. Feet find their role by serving the body. They don't chop off and say, right, let's go and find the will of God for my life. No, just serve the body. You'll find what you're there for. You'll find your distinctive gift as you serve the body. And together, maturity comes to us corporately. So when people walk into our churches, even if they've come in with some edge, wanting to laugh at church, they go and write up and say, I've never seen anything quite like it. What is this, people? Hallelujah. Let's do it again and again and again. Amen? God wants to gather us together. He saved them one by one. He sent them two by two. He wants you added. He wants you built in. He wants you benefiting from the gifts. He wants you coming to maturity. He wants you playing your part. That's God's purpose for you. That's God's will for us corporate. I thank God for this great day in the history of Winchester Family Church. It's great for us friends of yours to come and be with you today, celebrate with you, look forward with you to this place being packed as John asked us to pray. To hear that sound again, which I felt, wow, and I heard that sound tonight, this place booming with worship. And to do that in every church, again and again and again and again, until this poor nation has so lost its way morally. Let's get more prisons. No, don't send them to prison for too long. We may have this, oh, oh, what should we do? The culture's falling apart. We need this. No, we need that. They've lost their way. The nation that's terribly lost its way. Stories in our newspapers this week, I can almost guarantee it, will break your heart. People doing things to their children. Things destroying, killing. What's happened to our poor nation? Why say what Englishness is? What is English without the foundations of the gospel that so affected our nation? Beloved, it's churches filled with God that are going to do the work of God. Amen?